Welcome to another episode of Millennial Manhood. This week, we've got a very special guest, Arthur Hatton. He is a counselor and soon-to-be clinical psychologist uh, here in about a month. He works at a major university, and the topics we covered are quite relevant and particularly interesting to the uh, social environment we find ourselves in today for young men in regards to loneliness and um, depression, perfectionism, and, and just building relationships and maintaining those relationships with other men. So the conversation went fantastic. He gave some very practical advice in regards to how to take the first couple of steps in in really moving forward and building those social circles. So um, I think you'll enjoy it. If you need anything or you've got any questions, uh, feel free to reach out to us at millennialmanhoodcip at gmail.com and please share our episode. Uh, fair warning, I don't know what happened to my audio track, why there's some recording issues. Uh, I'll try to figure that out before our next episode, but just fair warning, there may be some quality issues on my end from time to time in the episode. So we are working to figure that out and we are working to find the best possible system for the podcast. So we appreciate your patience and enjoy the episode. Welcome back to Millennial Manhood. This is your host, Jovica Djurjevic. And this week, we've got a really interesting and uh, quite relevant episode. I've got um, Arthur Hatton, soon to be Dr. Arthur Hatton, about a month away. Um, he's a, a counselor and soon to be clinical psychologist at a, at a major university. And uh, the topic we're going to cover this week is particularly going to re- revolve around um, young men, loneliness, maintaining relationships and friendships. Um, et cetera. So, uh, Arthur, welcome to Millennial Manhood. Hey, thanks a lot. Thanks for inviting me. No problem. I'm really, really excited about this conversation. Give a, give a little bit of a, a Arthur 101 real quick for, for the folks listening. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, my name's Arthur. Um, I got my undergrad at University of Kentucky um, in psychology and uh, Islamic studies, actually. Um, I'm, a, I'm a researcher in, in kind of psychology and politics and religion. And, uh, so I, I got my undergrad at, at, uh, University of Kentucky and then got a master's degree, at, uh, in experimental psychology, uh, mostly in the psych, uh, social psychology of religion and politics. And then I decided to get a doctorate in clinical psychology. So that's about to, to finish up. Uh, and I'm a dad with three kids too, a wife and three kids. Wow. You are a busy man. Yeah, 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 I do feel pretty busy a lot of the time. <laughs> I, I don't know which, uh, which is harder, getting a doctorate or raising kids. Uh, try both at the same time. That's even worse. Yeah, you uh, so so, folks. We're we're very lucky to have Arthur for about an hour here um, because he, like you, like you just heard, he's a very busy man and and uh, he's got a lot of good experiences and, and just practical knowledge that he could pass on. But uh, the reason I wanted to reach out to you originally is, you know, over the last several years, we've seen major publications, in particular, um, you know, publish certain articles and, and, and on, on specific topics, primarily on uh, loneliness. And for example, Forbes in February of 2017 had an article that said, you know, why millennials are lonely. Uh, Men's Health hopped in the bandwagon in April of 2018 and said, 
uh, why millennials are, are twice as likely to experience depression and loneliness. And then even Vice, out of all places, says uh, young people are uh, more likely to be lonely than any other generation. So uh, in your in your practice and experience as, as a counselor and working with all kinds of folks, what, what have you noticed about that, you know, that 22 to 35, 36 year age group, those millennials, particularly young men, that's causing this feeling of loneliness and depression when we are the most connected um, group of people ever through social media and email and cell phones, et cetera? Well, I think that uh, part of it might be just the the sample that I work with. So like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm at a major university and there are a lot of students that come here from other states. Um, and what I notice is that, you know, a lot of students just are here for the first time. They just moved out of the house and uh, they're kind of put in a new setting with people around them that they don't really, you know, that they don't know. Um, and what I'm noticing with a lot of the students that I work with, because I'm a student counselor, is that they're kind of coming into the setting without the tools that they need to really build a robust friend network. And that contributes to all sorts of things, depression, anxiety, um, even some odd connections that you wouldn't make at first, like with perfectionism. Uh, and I can kind of go into that later, but um, yeah, and, and that, that sense of loneliness and kind of disconnection from others gets worse over time. So by the time I get students who are graduate students, I mean, the number one thing that I hear is that they're lonely, that they don't have that friend network um, to really help them get over the bumps of school. And so I really, in my experience, that's probably one of the central things that uh, students encounter that affects their mental health. Interesting. You, you use the term, the tools to help them uh, build a, a network of friends. What, what do you mean when you say tools? Yeah. So, um, you know, a lot of students will, will come to me and they say, it's just, it's so awkward to go up and talk to people. And uh, I, I need to get over this sense of awkwardness before I can really, you know, go out and say hi to people. Um, they don't really know, know how to do it. They don't know what the steps you take to really introduce yourself to someone and get to know someone. And, uh, so when we're talking about tools, um, like just in the language that people use when they come to me, um, I need to get over this awkwardness before I talk to people. And what they don't realize is it's just awkward to talk to people. It's awkward to introduce (laughs) yourself for the first time to someone. And so there's not really a way to make that feeling go away, but everyone kind of approaches it that there's this like magic way to make social interactions easier before you do it. Uh, that's that's part of the problem, I think. It's it's like they don't understand that in order to get over the awkwardness, you have to be awkward almost. It's part of the process. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So it's um, I, I, I so I think that's part of it. I, I think there's part of this paradigm uh, and. Actually, in therapy, we can use people's language to actually just uncover some of this. So, for instance, people will say something like, um, I want to go to the store, but I'm really tired. And that just sounds like a really normal thing to say. But kind of embedded in that sentence is uh, that word, but. So if I take the sentence, I want to go to the store, but I'm tired, and I change that to and, how does I can ask you? How does it feel when I say I want to go to the store and I'm tired? What is it? How does that change the meaning for you? Well, it, to me, it says 
I'm acknowledging that I'm tired, but it doesn't change the fact that I want to go to the store. Whereas if I say, but I'm tired, it's as if I'm flipping the meaning of the sentence to say, I want to go, but I'm not going to because of me being tired. Exactly. So I, I like to pick up little pieces of language like that because that it kind of reveals what people are thinking for me. Uh, so, you know, a person comes to me, I, I want to talk to people, but I'm scared. I want to approach people, but I don't know what to do. Um, I don't know anyone here. Um, you know, I want to I want to get to know people, but, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it's that but that really uh, kind of clues me into the fact that this is a student that doesn't really know that part of approaching people, part of building that work network is just getting over that initial awkwardness and just embracing it and moving forward. You know, there's no real way to just eliminate that because that's just part of being human. But I, I just I think it's strange that that seems like kind of an uncomplicated thing, except here are students, a big number of students who are coming to university without that little bit of just common sense knowledge. Yeah, it's going to be awkward. That's OK. That's just part of it. See what I mean? Yeah. Well, and, and you call it common sense knowledge. Would you say it's, you know, both of neither one of us are 18 and wide eyed and bushy tail going to to a major university for the first time? So it's, it is a little hard to take yourself back and say, okay, what's 18-year-old Yavitsa like or what's 18-year-old author like? But would you say it's different than it was maybe in the past because particularly the students you're working with right now in undergrad and even postgrad, they grew up in a generation of Facebook likes and Instagram likes and do it for the vine and Snapchat rather than, you know, when you and I were growing up, it was, yeah, we were, it was around maybe towards the end, but not as prevalent. Do you, do you feel like students are being hindered from learning those common sense tools? I think so. Uh, and it sounds, it's going to sound a little paradoxical, but I think that all the, uh, the social uh, tools that we use on the internet, uh, social media and Twitter and likes and emails and all that, all those little things that we use to help facilitate communication and make communication easier, make it easier to connect with people, make it easier to know all the factors involved in their life, like what what is their political orientation? What is their sexual orientation? What is their work history? All that stuff. The, the easier uh, the internet has made it for us to uncover that stuff, uh, it kind of gives us this illusion of like interconnectedness. Uh, whereas before, probably when we were teenagers, like you have to really talk to people to find that stuff out. And, uh, you know, we didn't have all those things to make it easy. And so we really had to just work to get that stuff out of people. And so I think that may, it could be, and this is just like my own hypothesis that a lot of these tools like phones and, and, and social media that make it easier to communicate actually are hindering us. They're, they're keeping us from building the skills we need to actually learn how to communicate with people, to stick your hand out, shake someone's hand, uh, really sit down with them, get to know what they're about rather than just reading it on their about page. That's a really interesting hypothesis. I've never thought about it like that. So, so what you're basically saying, and and I'm articulating it the way I heard it. So, you know, I'm not trying to hijack your your thought process. No, but feel free. You know, yeah. In a lot of ways, what I heard you articulate is, if I all I have to do is read, oh, you're a Republican, or you're a Democrat, or you're a Christian, or you're a Muslim, or whatever, and and I look at your likes, I never actually have to uncover the individual, and. It's almost as if, as if it keeps us in these certain bubbles to where 
you know, you might meet somebody who's of a different, like you said, uh, sexual orientation or, or religious persuasion or whatever it may be, and actually like that individual and, and still be able to disagree with them on, on certain aspects of life. And, and you learn that and, and learn to reconcile, have multiple thoughts and, or, or multiple points of view. Whereas when you can know that on the front end, it almost hinders that relationship from ever beginning and having to learn how to get through those awkward stages. Yeah, I think so. I, and I, I, think, I think you're basically picking up what I'm saying. Um, and I think the other part of it, like if we just use an analogy, you know, my grandfather once kind of gave me this big, long story about how you used to have to space spark plugs. You ever heard about this? No. Tell me about yeah, it. so they used to use these little metal spacers and spark plugs had like this optimal distance uh, where the spark is generated, where you can actually adjust the little bit of metal um, that kind of generates the spark and you can create like an optimal space there for the spark to, to happen. So grandpa was telling me about this. Everyone knew how to do it. Uh, your spark plug wasn't sparking efficiently. You just pull the spark plug out, use the spacer, kind of adjust that little space and put it back. So he said that at some point spark plugs became so cheap that it really makes no sense to do that. You just pull the spark plug out, throw it away, replace it with a new one. So, so mm. when that happened, everyone kind of lost that skill of how to space the spark plug um, because, you know, it just wasn't a necessary skill anymore. A lot of stuff like that, you know, a lot of men don't know how to, to hunt and dress a deer because we just don't need to do that anymore. We don't know how to slaughter a pig or a cow. We just don't know how to do that anymore. So in, in one way, we've made life easier uh, because we've invented technologies that help us kind of do things more efficiently and cheaply, but then we lose whatever the skill was that, that we used to do that in the past. And I think that we might be verging on something socially that's kind of the same thing. So yeah, we learned, we created this technology to connect people. So instantly, you know, exactly, you know, all these factors about a person's life and, uh, if that's, if that's kind of replacing that skill that we used to have of really getting to know someone, really pushing through the awkwardness of breaking the ice, then I think that maybe we might be losing something and we don't even, because, it, because the technology is moving so fast, we, we might not even know what's happening. We might just barely be on the cusp of, of kind of understanding that. So almost like an, uh, an, a, a rapid fire evolution is happening. Yeah. Interesting. I've never, I've never thought of that from that point of view. I mean, you're right. Both, so both of my sets of grandparents were farmers and I would not even know where to begin to skin a deer. And I know both my grandfathers knew how to do it for a fact. They were hunters. They, they would go and hunt. But if, if the whole world collapsed right now and our, all our technology went out, and we got kicked off the podcast and all that good stuff. I don't know how it would survive in that, but, but to take it to the social, uh, to the social standpoint, for, particularly for men, you know, if back in the day you lived in a community, even if you lived in a big city, the big cities were smaller and you had communities within and you knew who your neighbors were and you knew who your, who your butcher was and you knew who your mechanic was and you had to interact with those people to get anything done. I couldn't send an email on a contact us sheet on a website and get a response. So now that we are more independent than we've ever been as a species, we are, um, yeah, we, we are losing those social skills. And the scary part is it's, it's kind of like the, the moon landing. So, you know, we, we, we don't have the technology to get back to the moon. 
Have you heard that? I, I haven't, but they, tell me more about that. Okay, so basically, uh, and fair warning, my father-in-law told me this, so he might be making it up. I actually believe him on this one. <laughs> he, he's a prankster. Um, but basically, we, we don't have the technology to get back to the moon because the technology that was, at least the way he explained it to me, the technology that took us to the moon, it was on these massive you know, computers and all this paperwork and, and all these scientists who are either dead or we've lost the paperwork or we've lost... Uh, uh, the computers, you know, don't work anymore. So we've got bits and pieces, but we don't have the full, you know, train of thought. You go from A, B, C, D, E, F, G to get to the moon. So we can't even get back to the moon if we tried right now. Um, and, and I thought about that when he told me that originally, because think about it, everything we've built in society, we built on the knowledge of somebody else. And if we lose one of those uh, locks in the chain, it, we lose the whole chain. So that that's the scary part to me in what you're describing from a social standpoint. At what point do we lose that ability to communicate and interact to where to where we lose ourselves? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And so just to bring it back to my clinical experience, what I see is that uh, and, and, and reading some of the research, too, because a lot of the original research uh, has been done by universities, uh, basically saying that loneliness is uh, an epidemic for middle-aged men. So we're not talking about millennials hmm. anymore, but by the time these men get to about middle age, uh, loneliness can has the same uh, health effects as things like smoking. Wow. Uh, it has physical side effects. Uh, it, it can actually increase risk of like dementia and Alzheimer's because you're not actually using your, you know, your social cognitive faculties. So, um, what I see is that like there are all these students that that don't know what to what what to do, how to break that ice, um, and so what they do is they kind of make up for it. Um, and you know our economy is tricky right now. So so here's a bunch of students who they know that they need to succeed in school in order to even get a chance right. at getting a job, although the degree doesn't even guarantee you that you're going to get a job. And so um, they're kind of stuck into this like, well, like my life is now school and succeeding and getting that job. And uh, you get all these really unrealistic expectations uh, of yourself when you don't have people around you that are really grounding you. So if I fail this exam that I have let myself down um, and I don't have friends around me to say like, you know what, it's okay, man. Like you just try it again next time. Uh, so that's really kind of what the social network does for you is it buffers you when you have these bumps in the road. And so by the time these guys, so a lot of guys will get married and that can help because, you know, women are generally a little better at um, social stuff, correct? sending cards, remembering birthdays, stuff yep. like that. Um, and so men begin to rely on these women to meet those needs. So some of the social, social needs are met by their wife and some of them are met by, you know, the wife, setting up dates and setting up social interactions. And uh, so then what we see is like, say a man when he's 35 or 40 gets divorced or loses his spouse for some reason, and he doesn't know what to do. Like he doesn't know how to clean his house. He doesn't know how to make friends. He doesn't know how to remember a birthday or a card because he's relied so much on you know, his wife for everything. And we see that a lot in clinical work in, in middle-aged populations. So that's another piece. It's just like this chain from young adulthood all the way up to middle age for men 
that just primes them for this epic crash when they're 35 or 40 years old. See what I mean? Wow. So it's almost as if those guys are going from their mom setting up play dates as a kid and, you know, some sort of social guidance throughout high school to getting some, getting a girlfriend in college, relying on their social interactions through that, then getting married. And, and there's no actual internalization of the self. Uh, it's, it's like there's this constant crutch along the way. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and so it's it's just a concerning pattern that that we're noticing. It really ties into all these different mental health things like perfectionism and uh, anxiety and, um, you know, just, just overall loneliness. So, Well, elaborate on perfectionism a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I touched on it a little bit. I don't think I explained it very well. But the idea is that, like, perfectionism is about, like, striving for this impossible... I need to be in the 0.001% of whatever I'm in. And, uh, you know, a perfectionist is someone that sets really, really high expectations for themselves. So I remember uh, like one time when I was young, I I was a musician. I still am a musician, but I'd write songs and I wanted to be a performer when I grew up. And somebody asked me like, oh, would you like to be like, like a cult following musician where you have this core set of followers or would you rather be like really popular? And I said, I want to be Paul McCartney. Okay. Which is, I want to be like, like the greatest who's ever been like in the 20th century. If you made it top, you know, five list of the most popular, richest musicians, Paul McCartney might be in there. Uh, So I don't know why I invented like this uber incredibly high standard for myself. But I'm seeing this a lot in students, especially students with anxiety, is they just they feel like they have to be the best. Mm. So uh, when when you're lonely and you don't have a social network around you, like what are the standards that you use to live your life? It's standards that you just set by yourself. And a lot of times those standards are not realistic. So the students just think, oh, well, I can't get a 93 on a test. I've got to get a 99, even though like an A is an A. Yeah, uh, but but they still, for some reason, have to get the ninety nine, and they they don't have people around them. Where it's just like, you know what? If I bomb this test, it's okay because I still have friends around me that like me, and you know they're not going to you know reject me or anything just because I get a b- bad test grade. But if you don't have that around you, well, then like you're the only critic in your life. You're the only person grounding yourself, and it just doesn't work. So you get all these raging perfectionists because they just they don't have that grounding. I guess, board of directors around them to really hold them down. Well, and if your entire being is defined by how you perform on a test or at work, because I'm sure it translates into work after they're in the real world, um, and, and you don't find value in the relationships you've built and the, and the actual real life human beings that you're dealing with day to day, you rise and fall with those results. And that's a really scary place to get. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. Uh, that, yeah, that's exactly the point. You just get these guys who just have unrealistic expectations for themselves, but the way you build a realistic expectation is just by looking around you at your, you know, your relationships and just one, you're defining your relation, your, your identity by like the way that you uplift the people around you. Um, and second, like you're just grounding your expectations, just look around like, Oh, my buddy, he bombed a test and he bounced back from it. So it's okay. Yeah. Well, and to segue a little bit, even with dating in in the world today, you know, Tinder might be the most revolutionary 
uh, tool to dating, maybe even ever. Uh, the fact that you don't even have to awkwardly hit on a girl anymore in person. <laughs> you, can, you can just <laughs> and talk about awkwardly. I've done it a time or two. And maybe maybe uh, she uh, flirts back and she's interested or maybe she uh, shuts you down and you have to rationalize to yourself like, ah, whatever, <laughs> you know, move on to the next. But now you can just swipe left or swipe right. So you're not even forcing yourself into uh, into putting yourself out really anywhere because that was the last uh, the last place where men still had to put themselves out there. Uh, because everybody wants to, uh, at least I think everybody wants to find a mate of some sort. Uh, so have you have you found in your in your counseling issues with dating because of the way the dating landscape has changed in the last ten years? Oh, absolutely, man. Uh, that's one of the biggest things. Um, and yeah, I I think it's exactly the same paradigm. You know, Tinder has made it so easy to select. So it's just like. And I have a buddy, I'm, I don't want to, I'm not going to say his name or anything, but he was showing me his, his Tinder process. Cause he's, he's Tinder dating right now. And he'll mm. just like, look at a, look Live at a, a wildlife. Yeah. 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 That's I'm, I'm, I've been out of that game for 10 years. So I, I don't know anything about dating now, but you know, he'll look and he'll just be like, Oh, kids in the frame swipe. Uh, Oh, she, she said, uh, this thing on the, on the thing. Nope. Oh, one year out of my dating range. Nope. You know, it's just like this weird selection process where it's, I don't even have to sit down with someone and find out anything about them. I can just like swipe. But then again, like once again, you're eroding your ability to just really sit down with the person, uh, decide whether or not, okay, they have this negative quality, but you know what? They have all these great qualities and I think I might be able to make a compromise or, you know, get over that part of myself that doesn't like that. You know, that skill is just not there either. So I, you know, it's hard not to have this conversation without sending like this old man. It's just like, uh, you know, kids today. Just... <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I will say that like, there are some statistics that show that, you know, monogamy isn't like totally destroyed. People still date, but so I don't think that we're completely like destroying a, a generation. Uh, there, there were some articles that came out, like the internet is destroying a generation or whatever. I don't think so, but on the other hand, I think there is some truth to this. I think that the truth is somewhere in the middle that, yes, you know, we're not destroying a generation, but I think our generation has very unique struggles that they're going through. And I think that we can point to certain things and say, this is not helping. And uh, we need to figure out a way to kind of mitigate the damage that this one thing might be doing. Well, in my personal opinion on this, and, and again, I'm not a PhD or it's just anecdotal evidence of me observing people, but the entire uh, Tinder lack of social interaction, lack of awkwardly hitting on somebody, all that culminating together. If we take what you said in the beginning of people not having those social circles to ground them, and then you've got this perfectionist attitude, and then you combine that with Tinder, well, Maybe if you've got that perfectionist attitude without the people to ground you, your opinion of yourself in the dating market and your value in the dating market might be inflated. And then when you do not get the results of your inflated opinion of yourself, then that builds resentment and then that snowballs into you almost exit, exiting the dating market or or uh, uh, just creating a, a group or generation of incredibly bitter and angry individuals. And then that takes a while for them to either grow out of that and mature out of it or... Uh, some of them don't even 
mature out of it because again, they don't have that grounding factor. So have you dealt with that in any capacity? Yeah, it goes both ways. So that, uh, I'm, I'm not even going to say like, okay, well, some men do develop this inflated sense of self and, uh, I should just be myself and women will just flock to me because I'm just myself. Right. Which that's not true. Yeah. Maybe for where's the vice error. Yeah. I mean, maybe for some men, not for me, certainly. Uh, but you know, um, and then when they don't get what they want in the dating scene, they, and they feel kind of the sense of entitlement, uh, then they're just bitter and angry and they're just like dating sucks, women suck, whatever. And then there's actually uh, a miscalibration in the other direction, which is people don't have the success that they want in dating. And then they think, oh, it's just like, I, I'm ugly or I, I, it's just me and there's nothing I can do about it. When really a man could like, okay, well, maybe he doesn't have success in the dating scene now, but listen, what, what about if you just work on your approach, you just work on being more vulnerable in the, in the, you know, front end or less vulnerable, maybe if you're oversharing or something, just build some of those Mm -hmm. micro skills. Maybe you do have more influence on the outcomes than you think you do. It's not because of these fixed traits. It could just be like, okay, well, you know, just calibrate a, a, a couple things differently and you might have more success, but you got to get out there and do it. It's a trial and error process. And I do work with men that, that go through that. And I'll even say, I remember when, I mean, maybe in college or right out, out of college and my buddies are single and I'm single and, and it would, when one of them would get out of a relationship or some, maybe say maybe a new person to the friend group would be struggling with women. The first thing the group would do is say, okay, you're going to go talk to her right now if we're out somewhere. And basically force them into awkwardly communicating somebody with somebody. Or we would say, hey, we're, we're going to the gym. You're going to the gym with us. You've got to improve yourself. You've, if you don't feel good about yourself, if you're not taking care of yourself, if you're not eating right, if you're not uh, getting enough sleep, if you're not doing all these other things, then you're not going to exude the confidence and, and the willingness to be somebody of value to the opposite sex. And, and again, that goes back to having that group of friends to ground you. And uh, I, I don't, you know, the thing that I'm struggling and seeing with particularly guys in their late twenties, early thirties is the lack of effort being into being put in to even maintaining those groups of friends, um, people that you've known for years and, and just putting in the effort of just shooting a text or, or giving a call and being like, Hey, how are you doing? What's going on with your life? Um, why do you, why do you think there's such a struggle of maintaining those relationships in the long term? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, so one might be our society is more mobile, which means people move away mm-hmm. uh, more frequently. So, you know, whereas a hundred years ago, the average person might be born, live and die in their hometown. You know, there, there is kind of a geographical distance problem. So that, that might just be part of the realities of, you know, this life. And I think a lot of the things that we do, for instance, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to move to school, um, and I'm going to spend four years there, I might have in, in my mind this idea that like, okay, I'm here for four years, not enough time to meet anybody or make friends. I'm not here to make friends. I'm just here to get my degree. And then I'm out of here. And then you never actually fully land or set down roots. And you're like, I've got my friends back home too. So, you know, I, I don't really need friends here. And then, uh, you start to drop off on phone calls and 
uh, emails and you might like their Facebook status every now and then, but you have this illusion that social media is keeping you connected. You know, maybe if they get married or something, but you're not having those really intimate face-to-face relationship, you know, building, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't want to say dates. What was, what was like, what's a date for just two men, but just those, those times to sit down face to face and talk to each other. Manversations. Manversations. Is that what it is? Okay. Yeah, that's what yeah, I call yeah, I'll start weaving that into my, uh, <laughs> my therapy work. You need to have some manversations with people. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so it's like, we've got like this, uh, this illusion of connection that is replacing like an actual intimate connection. So, so yeah, it's just hard to, to, to keep up and connect. Well, and what you said about, oh, I'm, okay, I'm going to school for four years, which statistically speaking, most people go to school for longer than four years, mm-hmm. um, which actually, fun fact, did you know that universities are uh, gauged under performance based on their six-year graduation rate? Oh, really? I should know that, but yeah, I don't. For under for undergrad, so when I when I went to the University of Tennessee, I was very heavily involved in SGA, and and I would go to these chancellor meetings, and their entire focus was around their six year graduation rate and getting it to a certain level because that would lift them in the rankings. And the six year graduation rate they were shooting for was like sixty one percent or something, and that's like elite. And I thought, whoa, time out, sixty percent out of my freshman class to graduate in six years. So um, again, illusions of grandeur to uh to the average freshman coming in but what 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 you said about okay i'm here for four years it's not long enough to really build any relationships that mindset in itself i mean i built some i got some of my best friends in college within the first semester that i still know and talk to i mean one of them i talked to today and the other problem is okay once i get out of school we are such a mobile society i'm probably not going to live in the same place for more than a couple of years for the first couple of years out of college so you, you run into that same exact issue and then it just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So it, it's, uh, I, I don't really know what the solution is to the problem because again, those fundamental skills aren't being built. And, and I'll tell you personally, people don't, you know, even in my, prof- and I told you this the, the other day, even in my professional space, I've got clients who trust me with their money. Okay. So that's, it's a very, very, uh, uh, trusting relationship or it at least needs to be. And I can't, can't get them to call me back, but heaven forbid, I shoot them a text message. They, they reply within a couple minutes and it just blows my mind because I, I think to myself, I've been leaving you voicemails for a couple of days for something that you need to take care of. Okay. You've articulated to me, you need this done and I can't get you to respond in regards to your money. And then, but I text you and I get a response almost immediately. It, it's, uh, it's almost like a twilight zone. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. But I believe you, uh, just because, uh, like I've, I've heard that millennials don't like the phone, don't like to talk on the phone. I don't actually like to talk on the phone. So maybe that describes me too, but, uh, it's just, there's something about like talking to a person. It's just like, uh, you know, oh, they're calling me. I'll just kind of let it go to voicemail and call them back later. But, uh, but it, it, it forces you to actually get to know the person. It, you have to hear the person's voice. They have to become an individual to you. That's at least my theory on it and uh, why, why people are dodging it. Because, you know, now we get most of our um, – I mean, how many people go to their 10-year reunion? I've heard several people say, well, why would I go to my 10-year reunion? I know what's going on in everybody's life. Uh, I confess I didn't go to mine. Uh, kind of the same thing. It's just like, well, 10 years, I mean – 
who who am I going to talk to? Like, what am I? What am I? Why do I have to drive drive all the way out there? It's just I don't know. So guilty as charged for me yeah. too. And and it's not a matter of judgment. It's just observations. But let's talk about it from a practical standpoint. What are some? Okay, most of the students you're dealing with are either undergrad or graduate. They're coming to you for counseling. It's paid for by their student fees. Um, whether they're paying for it out of pocket or student loans or scholarships, whatever it may be, you're offering a service there. But outside of that space, young adults, young men in particular, maybe they don't have the money. Maybe they don't even know where to start. Maybe they, they're scared. So let's just say if somebody's struggling with building relationships, they're suffering from loneliness, they feel like they're overwhelmed by um, you know, even the social signals and cues being sent by social media. What are some of the just initial steps you would say, okay, here are a couple of things that you can do right now to make things a little bit better? Yeah. So, yeah, if we're talking, so the first thing that I do is just like, let's just shift your expectations a little bit. Um, so one, one, one way that I do this is I tell people, listen, if you came here with a phobia that you feel like clowns are hiding in your closet uh, and they're going to kill you at night, uh, we could really have a conversation about like, that's just not a realistic expectation. So let's just get that out of your mind. Let's just work on the phobia. Where did that thing start? And and let's just uh, fix that. It's just not realistic. But if a person comes to me and says, I'm afraid that I'm going to be rejected by other people, that is going to happen. That That's a realistic hmm. like uh, fear. And so that's not like clowns are going to get me. That's you know, like you are going to be hurt. And so if if the thing that's holding you back from like, I don't want to put myself out there because I'm afraid people are going to reject me. People might make fun of me. People might just like ghost me or just express disinterest. And that's going to make me feel bad. True. All right. True. Let's just get that out there. Uh, it will happen. So let's adjust our expectations a little bit. And if you're willing willing to get hurt a few times, uh, that's going to pay out more in the end. But if the thing holding you back is you just don't want to be uncomfortable, don't want to be rejected, don't want to be hurt. Let's just fix that right now, because that's just, you're not going to get to this magical world where nobody's ever going to hurt you or reject you. Second thing that I kind of get with people is, all right, so 50 years ago, what did men do to connect with other men? They had the Masons, they had the Moose Lodge, they had church, they had uh, town hall meetings where the whole town would get together and, and talk about issues and stuff. Uh, rotary, you know, bowling stuff. leagues, bowling leagues, poker night. We don't have that anymore. And I don't, I don't, I'm not a sociologist or anthropologist to where I know, I don't, I don't know why exactly those things are disappearing, but those kind of built in standing places where men get together just don't really exist anymore. So what do we do now? Well, we have to kind of create those spaces. So it means creating a get together for people with like interests, uh, an activism group. If you're interested in something that's uh, a social issue or something or uh, whatever that might be, get together with those guys too. Uh, it might just mean like if you're a college student, walk down the hall, uh, look up and down the hall, just see if there's anyone that's not doing anything and just invite them to go somewhere with you. So it, it means taking a little bit of a leadership and initiative thing because the craziest thing uh, is thinking about all the people that have come to me and said that they're lonely and they don't know how to talk to people. 
And then I walk during lunch on campus and I see thousands of students and I think all these students are lonely and they, they feel like they're all by themselves. And I'm, I'm literally looking at thousands right now. Yeah. I, I wish I could just like tell them like, Hey, you just talk to the, this person right here. You, you just get together and talk to each other <laughs> because like you're all feeling this way, but you're not telling each other and you're not doing anything about it. You're just hoping that I could just be myself and like somehow that'll just magically organize these things for you. Yeah. So leadership and initiative, I think, and, and I, I think most people would say, all right, well, if there are masculine qualities, leadership and initiative and building things, I, would you agree with me that those are just kind of part of what we say is masculine? 1000%. Yeah. So let's see some of that and uh, dedicated time to your social life. Well, and, and I think, I, and I want 100% agree with you on that. I've thought about that a million times. I wish we still had bowling leagues. I enjoy bowling, you know, so <laughs> it's, it's actually one of the more fun sports to me as I get older. But the leadership and initiative aspect of it, I, I think the biggest issue amongst the, the young men um, that, that I'm finding, again, I'm, I'm seeing it in the business space because that's where I spend the most time, but everybody thinks they're so busy when in reality, you're not really that busy. Now, I'm not discounting people having family obligations, church obligations, work, whatever it may be, but we're tricked into thinking that we're more busy than we are because our phone goes off and we got an Instagram like. Our brain recognizes that as something important. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't know any different. And, and everybody's just like, oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm so busy. The, the, better, the better question would be, hey, let's set up a poker night. It shouldn't be, are you free? The better question should be, hey, are you free and emotionally available this week? <laughs> And, and that that's really where um, – and, and I remember freshman year of college, we had a poker night every single week, a, a bunch of guys. We would just go down to the lobby of the, of the dorm and we would do that. And, and now you've got me really pumped up to try to start a poker night of some sort. Yeah, man. And just, it, it, it's, so, this is, so this is the difference between you and me. I was kind of a hippie, so we had poetry night, uh, an open <laughs> mic night. But the, same the principle deal. is the same. Yeah. yeah, yeah, same deal. Well, and I think one of the cool things about um, when you talk about that leadership and initiative, I think the older guys get. So when you're when you're younger, you know, the jock is the cool kid and the, the, the band geek is the band geek. But I think the older we get, the more we appreciate the individual um, talents that we have. Um, you know, I'm not very good at poetry, never have been. I'm a relatively creative individual. The poetry is not my thing, but I can recognize when somebody's really good at poetry and I can appreciate the fact that they're really good at poetry or, uh, watercoloring or skateboarding or, or whatever, pick something because I, I recognize as a man, because life's kicked me in the face a couple times up to this point, as it has everybody else, that when somebody's dedicated and really good at something, you can appreciate that. You can even find common bond in, in something like that, even if it's something you've never even um, uh, approached or tried to do. So, um, yeah, I'm really pumped up now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like, uh, yeah, people have this idea that like, oh, I don't want to be their friend because we don't have this shared common ground or interest. And it could be that like, what about just appreciating or being curious about something you know nothing about? So 
Like, uh, I'm not a math guy. I, I don't know math, but when I sit down with, with a math or engineering guy or, or some guy in really the hard kind of STEM field, I'm like, uh -huh. tell me about that, man. I want to know about that. Tell me about physics or I saw this thing on a light bulb and it said something about the light temperature. Can you tell me about that? Because I don't know anything about that. Just being curious about them and, and really turning it on them uh, really builds things. You don't have to know anything about that stuff. You just have to like, oh, I saw a label. Could you, could you tell me about that? I don't know anything about that. Yeah, it's, it's almost that childlike curiosity that we lose. And, and think about how easy it was to make friends when you were a kid. Uh, I remember vividly as a child, as an eight-year-old, just walking up to some strange kid and I'd never met before. It's like, hey, you want to play soldiers? Yeah, I want to play soldiers. Cool, let's go play soldiers. And we'd go play soldiers. It wasn't rocket science. <laughs> so it's, a, it's an interesting interesting world we live in and, and a lot of different uh, issues that, that we're dealing with. But we're, we're coming up on time here and, and I've really enjoyed our conversation. But I've, I've got one final question for you. And uh, that question is, if you could go back to uh, maybe 17, 18-year-old Arthur and and give him one piece of advice uh, looking back, what would what would be that wisdom that you would want to share with a younger self? Mm. One thing, huh? Well, I mean, you can do like, multiple things, but... Yeah, well, uh, student loans might have been one thing. I would have I done that differently, but... Uh, Fair. So I think that for me, it was the mobility thing. So I did move around a lot. And uh, I did have that attitude of like, oh, I'm only going to be here for a couple years. Um, and so what's the point of like really setting down roots? I'm not here to make friends. I'm not here to meet anyone. And I, I really think that held me back quite a bit because once I found myself in a place for about five years, I started to think like, I've been here for five years. I don't have any friends. And then I'm like mm -hmm. frantically scrambling for friends. And then it's time to move on to the next thing. That it just doesn't make any sense, but you know, it, it made sense to me like moving in a place. So, uh, with relation to the topic that we're, we're on, I, I think that I would have gone in with the attitude of like, my life gains meaning from the rich friendships that I make. And I'm not going to wait until some magic time when like I'm fully settled and I'm in the right place and I've got a mortgage and I know who the mayor is and I blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to wait for all that to fall into place. I'm going to take initiative right now and I'm going to make friends. I'm going to dedicate time to it. Just like I'd spend an hour in a gym in a gym every morning. What if I dedicated, you know, half an hour to just my social life? Boy, mm. I think that things would have been better for me a lot better. And I would, would have more kind of like this bank of friendship that I, I don't have at this point. That's powerful. And, and I think it's important. In, in, um, if, if we try to think again, back to that perfection, perfectionism, if, if we look for the perfect time, that time never comes. And, you know, what, how, how, according to plan has life gone up to this point? Most people say not very. So that, that perfect time really won't come. But, um, I'm, I'm very glad we had this conversation. I think it's going to be incredibly impactful. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for taking time out of your very busy life and uh, away from your family for a little bit to to share some of your wisdom. Um, and I'd, I'd love to have you on again at some point in the future. But is there anything, any final thoughts you'd like to share? 
Well, uh, no, thanks for having me on and I appreciate it. And next time you're in town, why don't you, uh, give me a ring and we'll, we'll go out and do something. Awesome. See, see folks, that's how you make friends. There you go. That was you, easy. You, too. you take, take, yeah, leadership and initiative, just, just make it happen. <laughs> but, um, again, folks, if you've got questions, concerns, ideas, if you want me to interview somebody, you want to connect me to someone, uh, articles, uh, millennial manhood, CIP at gmail.com millennial manhood at CIP or millennial manhood CIP at gmail.com and share this podcast with your friends, family, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon.